this time together, we thank you for your word and the, the gift that um, you've given us in the body of Christ uh, to come together to center around one thing and one thing only, and that's the glory of Jesus uh, that we learn about, that we dwell on, that we uh, attempt to mirror and reflect in our lives as we relate to one another and as we relate to the world around us. Thank you for the gift that we have in Christ as our mediator of the new covenant. And we pray that we get a little bit more insight on that this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit be with us, that he open up um, this word uh, delivered to us um, out of your grace and out of your love for us. Help us to uh, chew on it and and take it in, that it might produce fruit in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are in Leviticus. We're in chapter 8. And this chapter has uh, 36 verses. And rather than read 36 verses in the chapter, Tammy has cautioned me, you need to take it in smaller chunks. Uh, we're going to just do the first 13 verses today, and this actually break this chapter up into three sections, and you'll kind of see why the structure of it lends itself to that anyway, and it's also uh, much easier to, uh, to take on. Um, remember the book of Exodus, how it ends. The tabernacle is built, the glory of God comes down, right? Remember that? Do you remember that? Okay. Um, and then in Leviticus, we've gone through the first seven chapters that deal with the procedure on how to do formal worship. We've seen that in the first two manuals, the, the manual of the, the, uh, the, the different sacrifices, the three main ones, and then the sin and the guilt offering, kind of tagged under the, the burnt offering. By way of review, burnt offering generally represents what? Atonement. Atonement. Um, a general need for atonement. We're sinners before the Holy God and, and it's His acceptance of us is based upon the blood sacrifice of a substitute. And then the grain offering generally dealt with what? $10 word? Sanctification. Sanctification is generally the sanctification. Specific sins are, are guilt and, and sin offering that we see later. And you're right, that there are offerings for this specific stuff. Um, and then the peace offering is what? Communion. Communion. It's also called a fellowship offering. It's a it's a uh, atonement, sanctifying sacrifice, and then fellowship with God. That's the the general idea behind those three main offerings. And then we see subcategories of the peace offering, subcategories of the of the burnt offering. Uh, that, we, that we've gone over before. So those first two manuals are dealing with generally to the lay people, what are the offerings? How does public worship look like? What, what does it look like? And then it's the second manual is to the priest. What are, what are your portions of these things? How are you to handle the sacrifice? What is the duty of the priest to the worshiper? What part does a worshiper play in the sacrifice? So those two manuals deal with the procedure of... So that brings us to chapter 8. And chapter 8 begins the formal worship of God in the tabernacle. And it starts with the ordination 
of the high priest. It's very interesting. Chapter 8 describes the ordination of the priesthood. And then we get into chapter 9, the first sacrifices by Aaron. He sacrifices on behalf of himself, on behalf of the priests, and then on behalf of the people. And then we get to chapter 10, uh, which shows the consequences for the priests who do not worship God according to his commands. We'll have, I'm sure, a lively discussion on that one. Chapter 8 is a very defined literary structure. It's, it, the, the smart guys call it a chiastic structure, and there are seven sections to it. And you, there are mirrors on the end, there's mirrors in the next one, the mirrors in the next one, and the center is just one thing. And that's usually where the focus, the most important part, is going to be in the middle in the way that it's structured. So we'll get to that next week. But just be in mind, have in mind that it, it's, there's a literary definition and how it's done. And each of these seven sections is characterized or, or, or set out by the phrase, as the Lord commanded. And, and this refrain presents Moses and Aaron as being the model for obedience to God for the people to follow. Right? You see this whole thing play out. <clears throat> ceremony. What's ceremony? What's it, what's it for? To celebrate a big event. To celebrate a big event. It's like an official uh, way to to show something. An official way to show something. Um, For Hebrew culture, a ceremony is is an important function. And it commonly is to to celebrate an important thing. Um, It brings about a change in status, generally, for the the person, the main participants of, of the ceremony. We have some of that, right? I mean, a little bit. Probably the one everybody most thinks of is a wedding because you have proper dress, proper formal, you know, there are certain rites that we go through. Everybody does the ring. Everybody does the vows. Everybody shoves pie in the face at the end, you know, the thing. Those are all formal rites that we do, except Tammy threatened me on ours. You will not shove cake in my face. It will end badly for you. Um, so we didn't do the... We did not. Did not do the cake in the face. One or two. One or two. Graduation also, throwing the hat up in the air, the thing, and and moving the tassel from one side to the other. These are all ceremonial things. Um, They show change of status. This ceremony is also done through a series of rites that directly relate to the purpose. We'll see special clothing. We'll see washing. Uh, and it's to move the priest to a higher state of ritual purity, the highest state of ritual purity, which is known as holiness. That's the point of this. So let's look at uh, chapter 8, and we'll start with verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. We'll stop there. Where did the ceremony take place? Where is this going to take place? 
the entrance of the tabernacle. Why? Why not go into a secret room with secret guys, with secret candles, in, in the darkness and in the little, you know, in the little bitty group? Why not do it there? If it's formal and nobody sees it, then what? If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really happen? Who's changing status, right? It's before the Lord because it's at the tabernacle. It's before the entire congregation. They're all witnesses to this. The, the idea here is that the Lord commands Moses to pull together the priests to be ordained and he, and he has all the, the necessary elements to, to ordain the priests and he has the entire assembly witnessing what's going to happen. Um, there's a lot of people, by the way, uh, in the place all at once. I mean, they cover the land of Egypt like you know grasshoppers or whatever it said. And, you know, what, what, how are they going to fit all these people in the tabernacle at one time? Uh, live broadcast. Live broadcast. Stream it. <laughs> stream it from before the bronze altar. Tune in now. To, um, well, the idea here, <laughs> the idea here is that the the elders of the congregation represent the people as they go into the the actual courtyard area, and then they spill out from the courtyard around the tabernacle complex. But everybody's there. Everybody knows what's going on. They've all read it. They've all had it. You know spoken to them, the law of God. And so they know what's going on. The, the, their representatives are in there witnessing it. And this is a testimony to them. Um, it's a big deal. So the entire assembly of the nation is called to witness it. With this ceremony, Aaron and his sons are elevated in status with the congregation. They're being set apart here for something very significant, for something very important. And it's with much pomp and circumstance that it happens. And yes, I use pomp and circumstance. They're graduating into <laughs> to be to to an office of service among the congregation, set apart by God. And and look what happens. What's the first thing that happens here? Verse four b. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he put the Urim and Thummim. And he set the turban on his head. And on the turban, in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as crown as the Lord commanded Moses. Um, these, these are commands that God gave to Moses back in Exodus. We read about all this stuff. This is what these are clothes he was supposed to have. This is what the turban's supposed to look. These are, you know, you're, at the consecration ceremony, you're supposed to wash them. And we talked about what that looked like. Remember, <laughs> you're in front of all the people. Do you wash somebody fully clothed? No. They stripped him down. We don't know how much. We assume that there's some kind of linen thing for modesty's sake, and he washes him. 
head to toe, washes him. Now, what does that tell you? What does that convey about Aaron to the people? That he is bare, as it were, and being washed by another person. It's very humbling. Incredibly humbling. In fact, conveys, I'm not my own. Right? This is being done to me in very public. Very, I'm being exposed here for everybody because I'm not my own. I'm being washed by a foreign element, foreign person, somebody else is doing something you usually do yourself with the curtain shut, you know. Hold on, I'm almost out. I mean, we, we don't... Very public. I'm not my own. My body is not my body. It's a very humbling thing. And it also shows that there's nothing, along with the nothing to hide, everybody has seen that he is cleansed mm-hmm. from the... From Head to toe? Inch. Yeah. He's, he's clean. Yeah, yeah. There's And there's nothing hidden about what he does, too. Right. I mean, at this point... He's everybody's. There is that. He needs to be clean. Yep. That's true. Um, and, and we'll see that whenever he gets to his own sacrifice, I mean, sacrifices for himself, too, that he also needs to be atoned. That's a good point. He needs to be washed. These are uh, stages uh, uh, that Aaron and his sons are moving to the highest state of ritual purity, holiness. And, and first, they're washed. And this rite of washing is usually associated with ritual, ritual purity, uh, purification. Second thing that is done. What, what's the second thing that, that Moses does here? He's washed. Then what? He's dressed with clothes that are not his own. Right. <clears throat> All right. We, we talked about this uh, before in Exodus. Why the special clothing? What's, what's all that about if you're from Canada? For beauty and for glory. Yes. There's an artistic element of, of, the, of how the, the clothes are made. But why are they made to begin with? What's the, it's, it's the shows, purpose? It's purpose behind it. Okay, which is? It's like a uniform. Like a uniform, a beautiful and glorious uniform. Show status. Show status. Do we do that? Yeah. Do we have special clothes that indicate special status? Like, give me an example. Police a police officer. Military. Military. A soldier's uniform. Judge. Ju- judge. <laughs> There's a judge that I was in front of one time. I had an emergency hearing. And he came in, and I, saw, I was in his cha- in the in the area outside the chambers. He comes in from the pasture. He had been like mowing and stuff. He's all skanked out, and it's like shorts and a t-shirt. He's like, "I'm here. Don't judge me." And he walks in. <laughs> he walks in. He comes out in the robe you would have never known. You'd have never known. It was awesome. He's a great judge, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Don't judge me. So, yes. It denotes special status. It, dis- it denotes a, 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 a role that they're playing. Uh, in the ancient Near East, special clothing indicated that a person had entered into a, a specific state. One, one of the common ones was mourning. You know, they put on sackcloth, ashes, 
black clothes to denote mourning. That's one that we may be uh, familiar with from, from reading through Scripture. And the other is that they had a specific role. A leader usually wears a... Robe, crown, thank you, looking for it, hoping somebody comes up with it. <laughs> a crown. There, there's a special type of clothing that they wear on their head. A crown. <laughs> um, a shiny crown. All right, so you, you see this with a soldier's uniform, a bride's wedding dress, a mourner's black cloak. And, any, any, and the other... The other Uniform I thought of that denotes status and and and, and role was uh, all the all the pictures I get from Comic Con. You know, they they're all are always in some kind of anyway. Sorry. Okay, so you have uh, this thing. The, the priest's special clothing identified them as set apart to a specific state, ritual holiness, and a specific role. What's the role? What what are they going to be doing? What does a priest do? They're the, mediators. They're the mediators for the people of the covenant. That's a specific role. Not just anybody can waltz on in there and start, hey, I'll, I'll do this for you. These are the guys that are set apart to do that. <clears throat> um, the most... Uh, well, it, it also signaled to the people that they were to give dignity and honor to the people that were set apart to do that work for them, right? I mean, I can't go do that for myself. This guy has been set apart to do that for me. Um, the most elaborate clothing was worn by the high priest. Do we do that as well? Do we see that? A soldier among soldiers would be a general. And we can tell he's a general by the stars on the side and the medals and the way everybody else salutes him except for certain civilian politicians. Um, the general star sets him apart. Uh, the high priest clothing also has royal overtones. The robes uh, are identified, that he's wearing identified elsewhere as the, the robes of princes. And in fact, here we see that the plate is put on his head and, and the ESV translated as a crown. There are royal Elements to his attire. Why would that be? What does that say? He's a priest. He's not a king. But what is he part of? The royal priesthood. The royal priesthood. Before whom? Jesus. Always a good answer. God, Jesus is, all, is <laughs> ultimately the answer. But yes, before God, in, in what context here? What do we have? What, what's going on? Who is God to them at this point? Their king. Their king. He's their covenant king. And a covenant king has, a, has royal attendance. And he is in his royal palace. And these are the people attending and mediating the covenant before the covenant king. And so there are royal elements to their clothing. Um, all right. The high priest is part of a royal administration. Okay, uh, let's see. Look, let's look at the preparation of the place and the person. Uh, verse 10. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times 
and the anointed, and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. These three things that he does, what's the purpose? To consecrate. You think that might be an important element there? Maybe? Three times he says, to consecrate, to consecrate, to consecrate. This is a, 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 a shout out to the significance of what's going on. He's, he's setting this whole thing apart. He first gets the oil. Remember the oil we talked about, the special blend? Right? It was, it was specifically done for temple work. And if you tried to sell it on the open market, you would be cut off from your people. This is specifically for use in the tabernacle. And he uses this oil to anoint the tabernacle. Incidentally, it's the first time the tabernacle is mentioned in Leviticus. Um, and the word here is used uh, it's for, for, for tabernacle means dwelling place. And we've already kind of talked about this. God's dwelling place here. This is his palace. This is where he resides among the people. And so that's why it needs to be consecrated for formal worship. Second, he anoints all the furniture and utensils in the courtyard of the tabernacle for all to see. And then lastly, he pours this oil on Aaron's head. How beautiful it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It is like the oil flowing down from the crown to the beard, even Aaron's beard. You know, that, that Psalm 133 uses this language to talk about the beauty of unity in the body of Christ. This pouring of oil over Aaron seems to also indicate the empowering of the Holy Spirit on him because elsewhere where that's used... Remember Saul when he was anointed as king? Samuel says to him, pour the oil over you, go get your donkeys because that's really what Saul was concerned about. My dad's donkeys. And he says, go get the donkeys. On your way there, you're going to meet some prophets and then you'll prophesy. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And sure enough, it says... The Spirit rushed upon him and he prophesied. Saul prophesied. And then later in 1 Samuel 16, when he anoints David, it says the Holy Spirit rushed upon him from that day forward. Notice the difference between Paul and David. Saul gets this one opportunity of prophesying because the Spirit's on him. David, from that day forward, the Holy Spirit was with him. So this idea of having oil on Aaron is, an, is kind of a nod to the, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit empowering or being with uh, Aaron. So Moses completes this preparation for this ordination ceremony. There will be three sacrifices that we're going to look at next week. Moses completes it. He, 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 um, he clothes the regular priests in their special clothes, but he doesn't anoint them at this time. Their clothes also set them apart for service, but they don't have the, the same type and elaborate get-up that the high priest does. But they are set apart. Um, so everything is now in place for the ceremony's three main sacrifices. And there'll be the purification offering, the burnt offering, and the ordination offering. For Israel to come to public worship, think about what that involved. They're coming to a place 
where they've seen this massive display of God's glory come down. And they're coming to that holy, glorious place that's been consecrated. For them to come there, what's the problem? They're not holy. And God's holiness eradicates impurity and sin like light eradicates darkness. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty... In, in chapter 10, we will see it's a pretty swift vaporizing. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. How gracious of God to provide them a means by which to approach Him. He wants... What, what does that tell me? I want you here with me. Right? I want you to be in fellowship with me. Come to me. And I'm going to make a way for that to happen by setting apart certain men to be mediators because you're sinful and I, I, can't, I can't dwell with, with sinfulness. So we'll do this for now. By having a public ceremony like this, the Lord made clear to them that they needed ritually holy men to act as their representatives. By providing the mediators... God showed Israel that He wanted them to enter into His presence and have covenant fellowship with Him. That's His heart for the entire creation, isn't it? I mean, He wants His creation to be restored in rightness with Him. Here's a verse that makes Calvinists kind of do one of these like twitches. But it's in the Bible. It's in Timothy, which is pretty, pretty awesome, actually, that it's there. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3-5. through This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. God wants that fellowship. He desires that rightness, that right standing, that reconciliation. And we can get into a discussion on which desires are more priority than others. But it's there. That desire is there. And He in His grace provides a means, a representative for that to happen. Right? He has provided and set apart His mediator on behalf of His people. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, He, Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that comforting? I don't feel sometimes that my prayers really get past the ceiling. Can we get there? You have a great high priest who always lives, ever lives, to intercede for you. First John 2, 1 John 2.1 My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, another way that can be translated is when anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And as I'm thinking through this ceremony this week, 
something just kind of hit me. Um, Christ recognized that his body was set apart for the task of service. John seventeen nineteen he says, And for their sake I consecrate myself. And there was a very public ordination of Jesus as high priest, wasn't there? John was baptizing. Jesus comes to him and says, Baptize me. And uh, John was freaked out by that. He said, You should be baptizing me. I don't think this is a good idea. And what does he say? This must be done just as the Lord has commanded. To fulfill all righteousness, he says. To, just as the Lord has commanded. So he takes on this ordination, this setting apart as the high priest. And he's washed. Right? Then what happens? And it's very public. I mean, it was, I mean it's a river. It wasn't like in a, you know, on somebody's private pool. It's in a river. It wasn't in a baptistry. The Spirit descends. The oil comes down. Right? It doesn't leave him. The Spirit descends. The oil comes down. What else happens? Is he given special clothes? Not yet. Something does happen, though. He's clothed in the favor of his Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's no doubt that this man is set apart for a specific task, a holy task. God pronounces it from heaven. No need for clothes. Everybody saw that. Everybody's there. Now, he does... He is set apart with some clothes. We see in Revelation some, some pretty shiny ones. Uh, pretty amazing. John can't really look at him too long. He's on the ground. Spectacular. But at that moment, at the ordination, it's the pronouncement of God that clothes him in favor. All right. Why did Jesus consecrate himself? What's the end of, of uh, John seventeen nineteen? And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He's our mediator. He takes it on so that we also would be sanctified in truth. We also have been ordained as priests, but he has the better clothing. How have we been ordained? As priests, have we been washed? We're not our own. Ritually, actually, we're set apart, right? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see the language Paul is using? It's Levitical language. And a lot of people use that um, great objection 
to one of the hotbed sins that everybody keeps bringing up. Oh, that's Leviticus. That's Old Testament. Do you really want to you know, eat lobster and shellfish and all this stuff and yet you want to hold this sin as wrong, this particular one? He's using Levitical language to demonstrate what Christ has done for His people. Because He was washed, we can be washed. We're no longer... I'm no longer my own. Right? It's all there. I'm no longer my own. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And you're anointed with the oil of His Spirit. Yes? 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Similar language in Ephesians. But 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as, it taught, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. An anointing teaching? That's the person of the Spirit teaching, bringing things, uh, clarifying things to us by His Word. Were we clothed in a special clothing? Yes? Galatians 3.27 for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, as were washed, have put on Christ. He's our special clothing. For glory and beauty. Colossians 3.12-13 Put on then, as, Christ, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. When we screw up, and we all do, how we respond to an offense displays the clothing we wear. We demonstrate that we are clothed in His special robes by forgiving one another, by being meek with one another, by being gentle and kind to one another. There is a distinction in how we relate to each other's failures. It's different than the world. We wear those robes, they're foreign to us, we wear them as sinners ourselves. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. A life that is characterized by unforgiveness, by bitterness, by revenge, may demonstrate a life that is not clothed in a foreign righteousness. We have special clothes. We have a special anointing. We've been washed by Him. And we should demonstrate that we're His, distinct, 
set apart, holy because of what he's done. Make your ordination sure. Make your calling and election sure. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Live lives that are holy to the Lord. Any question, comments, fruit to be thrown? Yes? It makes me think of Friday night. This is a silly example, but um, there were two bands. Our band, full military dress with the hats with the plumes and everybody has to step in line. The other band wore t-shirts and shorts and everybody just kind of meandered out on the field. And I, I was thinking to myself, that the way, I mean, it kind of has the idea mm-hmm. of what you're clothed in and when we realize who we are in Christ, it should affect the way we live our lives. Mm-hmm. It should affect the manner in which we approach things. Right. Where, As opposed to if we're just like, they're going back to our old way of life and just like, oh, well, I'll just go with the flow and whatever then that, that's how you live your life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was kind of a silly example, but it was just kind of a stark contrast in the way that they were clothed and the way that they behaved. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway. Yeah, there were a lot, of, uh, a lot of parallels to draw from those two bands. Yeah, but, but I mean, talking about... <laughs> And 35 to 14 Bullard women didn't hurt. They don't outwardly dress a certain way like a priest outwardly dressed a certain way. Right. Um, You know, we sort of joke on Sundays that we're in Sunday clothes, so you better drive nice, you know. Yeah. But I never put put a fish on my car. I'll never do it. (laughs) Just, it's just inviting. No, no. In fact, this morning, this morning, I, I was going to let somebody get by who's driving real slow rather than cut in front of them and do the normal Houston driver thing that I've been brought up to do. So let them go by, and so they get, okay, now I'm going to get behind it. And then they stopped and turned with no signals. Like, if I had just acted on my impulse, I'd already be up there by now. But no. So I don't wear a fish. That's probably not a good example. But anyway, there it is. Um, so yes, uh, so clothing uh, can many times... Um, dictate how we act, and in that we're also seeing if we're wearing Christ. I'm not saying our actual clothes. I'm no, I, I know. I'm, I'm drawing out. I'm, I'm taking what you said, and I'm moving it back over here. Um, so yes, you're right. Anything else? It's only 10:06. I mean, we've got like 14 more minutes. I don't know. Do we want to? Really long prayers up. Yes, sir. The the order of what. Uh, which things were consecrated in. Mm. Uh, first the tent or the tabernacle, then the utensils, mm. and then the sons. Um, you know of any specific significance of the order? Maybe just logical. Um, the place, mm-hmm. the stuff, the people. You know, maybe that. Maybe that is. I, I didn't see anything specific. Smart guys didn't tell me anything okay. specific on that. But I mean, I would think it would just be a lot. No, that's that's a good observation. I don't know of anything. Uh, more specific than just a, it's a logical yeah it's good alright I'll, I'll pray <clears throat> Father it's a high calling that you've given us to wear your son 
But in your grace and in your kindness, you've washed us and made us new. You've anointed us and given us your spirit as a seal, the promised seal of our redemption, the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, would you, by your spirit, continue to make us holy, to forgive us when we're out of step with the band. Help us to forgive one another as we have been forgiven much in Christ. God, I would just pray for this group that you would continue to knit their hearts together, that you would help those uh, who have been here for a while to continue to, to, to love each other. Those who are new here would, would be grafted in and loved on and, and serve one another. It's a constant flux in this group and, I, and I, I pray that your Holy Spirit does what only you can do, which is to display to us the unity of the body of Christ in a, in a group where oftentimes our main contact, our main connection, our only connection sometimes is just that we love Jesus. And that's more than enough. I thank you for the, the love and the service that I've seen in this group so far. And I pray that it continues. And I pray that you continue to build us up in love as we um, encourage one another, as we um, pray for one another, as we serve one another, as we study your word and are sanctified by your truth, as we're moved toward actions of, of good works because of what Jesus has done, not just to make ourselves look better, but because of what Jesus has done, that that would be a testimony to a world that we are distinct, set apart, holy, and we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Would you help us to stand a little more humbly before you, knowing that that's the calling that you've given us, and that's the, the um, ordination that you have performed in us and on us. Help us to continue to put on Christ and wear Him um, in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which we've been called. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.